Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active word of God, his two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, September 15th, we are studying Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 1 through chapter 3, verse 11. Ezekiel has seen the vision of the Lord's glory, and now he hears the Lord's voice. The Lord speaks to him and calls him into the prophetic ministry. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Mark Squire. Pastor Squire serves at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in St. Ansgar, Iowa. Pastor Squire, welcome back to Sharper Iron. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Let's talk a little context as we get started. We've looked at the first chapter in the first two shows of the series. What should we remember about Ezekiel, his context, his ministry, that'll help us with part of his call scene that we've got today? Ezekiel's just a very strange prophet, uh, especially, I mean, of all time, of course, but to us, especially with uh, some of the imagery he uses, the language he uses. And so there's a lot that we um, might not expect or stuff that might make us uncomfortable. But as we see here in the call, we start to set up some of these major themes that that run through Ezekiel's um, prophecies. Uh, Ezekiel is called the son of man. Uh, so we're going to hear about that a bit. Uh, we continue to hear about the glory of God. And the the main problem that we see over and over throughout Ezekiel is that the people of God are a rebellious house. So Israel and Judah have become rebels. They've turned away from the Lord. And Ezekiel is one of the prophets that the Lord has called uh, to bring his word of judgment. And then uh, also, as we get towards the end of the prophecy in particular, the restoration and the redemption of um, God's people. But uh, for Ezekiel personally, uh, you know, he's, he's of a priestly family. So we see that in one verse three, which you know you talked about already. He's roughly the contemporary of Jeremiah. So I know you just wrapped up a long study on Jeremiah not too long ago. This is about the same time frame. You know, his, his prophecies against the people start before the exile. So he's warning them. But as, as the, the book starts, Ezekiel 1, verse 1, the vision of God's glory comes to Ezekiel in, uh, in exile. So there's this uh, not quite as much back and forth as Jeremiah, but it's mostly chronological in Ezekiel. But uh, Ezekiel is in exile along with uh, a lot of the people from the land of Israel, and a lot of the prophecies are going to come from there. Mm-hmm. So... Um, yeah, so Babylon's a big car right now. They're on the footstep of Jerusalem. Uh, Syria has been defeated. And um, so that's, you know, things aren't looking too good for the people of Israel. 
That's right. Yeah, this is a pretty tumultuous time, not only for the people of God, but just in world history in general. And Judah is caught in the middle of all of it. But more importantly, for the purposes of Ezekiel, their rebellion, as you mentioned, that's what's causing this exile that Ezekiel's already in and is going to continue. You know, we talked about with Jeremiah, that more familiar exile. Ezekiel's come in an earlier exile, and all of it has to do with this matter of Israel and Judah being this rebellious house. There's a theological reason for what's happening. It's more than just a, a geopolitical game that that the people of God happen to be caught up in. There's actually theological reasoning. And Ezekiel is there in exile to preach that. One of the things that you mentioned already, Pastor Squire, which comes up for the first time in this text, is that the Lord's favorite way of addressing Ezekiel is not by name, not by calling him Ezekiel, but rather by calling him son of man. And we talked briefly about this in the introductory episode, but this is the first time it actually occurs in the text in chapter two, verse one. So it's worth some time, I think, because when we hear the words or the phrase son of man as Christian readers, I think our minds automatically go to the title that Christ uses for himself many times in the gospel. Why does the Lord choose to call Ezekiel son of man so many times in the book of Ezekiel? That's right. When when we hear it, you know, as Christians who have been, you know, we're living 2,000 years after the time of Jesus even, so, what, 25, 2,600 years after Ezekiel, we hear Son of Man and think of Jesus, because that's how Jesus often refers to himself in the Gospels. But here, the, the Son of Man phrase, the title, seems to be an emphasis on Ezekiel's creatureliness. So he's a created being. He is a prophet who's carrying God's word to the people, so he's an important person, but he's still a person. He's still a creature. And so that becomes, in a way, a contrast to God's nature and God's glory. So the glory of the Lord being another important idea that's found throughout all of Ezekiel. God's glory is in this unapproachable light and in this, and as you've heard in the first vision in chapter one, something that we even have difficulty understanding. Uh, Sometimes it's just impossible to really envision what Ezekiel experienced. And so Son of Man becomes, you know, it occurs 93 times throughout Ezekiel. This is, like you said, God's favorite way of um, addressing Ezekiel. And this, it it has to be, I think, that this is his creatureliness. He's he's lowly, whereas God is, is high and exalted. And not, you know, certainly not to insult Ezekiel, but to remember what his place is in all of this. Right. And, and, and I think, too, in contrast, particularly to who the Lord is, the Yahweh, who is God, I think that's the, the contrast that not, it's not a, a slight to Ezekiel, per se, but rather is meant to emphasize who the Lord is in all of this. And his, you know, he is the king. He is God over all, even when the people are in exile. And I think that addressing Ezekiel like that really emphasizes that about God. You mentioned the, the vision in chapter one that we've looked at previously. Any of, of the imagery there and the context there that will help us as we prepare to read what comes next in chapter two? Well, certainly the the idea of the glory of the Lord, and this is uh, an idea which occurs explicitly uh, over 20 times in Ezekiel. And, you know, in Ezekiel's vision, it's again, just this strange picture with four living creatures and these wheels turning. And, you know, there's, you look it up and there's so many different ways that artists have tried to envision this over history. And there's, you know, some of them are good, some of them are not so good. But uh, really, again, this this idea of the glory of the Lord, which I think in, in chapter one, we kind of see 
the Lord's glory in in heaven. So this is where God's glory dwells in an eternal sense. But then this glory then is seen both in the temple of God, which is in Jerusalem, but then later on in chapter 10, this glory is actually going to be leaving the temple. So God's magnificence, his might, who he is as the Lord, as you already said, uh, this it becomes a a contrast to Ezekiel and to the people, but also the the presence of God becomes important because mm-hmm. the people have been rebellious now for so long that the glory of the Lord, which Ezekiel sees in this this strange and awesome vision in chapter one, is actually going to be leaving, departing, uh, and, and you know, forsaking the people, as it were, and they're going to be carried out into exile. So let's hear what the Lord now says to Ezekiel. A lot of things were seen in the first chapter. Now we're going to focus a lot more on what is heard in this section. So again, we're beginning in Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 1, and continuing into the middle of chapter 3. And he, that is the Lord, said to me, that's Ezekiel, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impudent and stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you and you sit on scorpions. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. And you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. I'm going to pause there, Pastor Squire. We'll, we'll pick up the rest of the, the text a little bit later. Let's start with that initial scene of, again, what I think we would call Ezekiel's call into the, the ministry of being a prophet. So he addresses him as son of man. We've talked about, and he says, stand up, I'm going to talk to you. And then the spirit is the one who enters Ezekiel and actually sets Ezekiel on his feet. Take us into just that opening scene before the Lord actually then speaks to Ezekiel. Yeah, so verses 1 and 2, this is a direct continuation from the last verse in chapter 1, where Ezekiel, hearing and seeing what he heard and saw, falls on his face in a posture of worship. Uh, you know, you, you don't look directly at God. You realize that God is there, you put your face down. And so when the Lord finally appears, then begins to speak here, he dresses them as son of man, like you said, commands him to stand on his feet, but then you see that the Spirit of the Lord, which is another one of these common, I don't know if theme is the right word to call in the Spirit of the Lord here, but certainly God's Spirit plays a big role, I guess I could say it that way, in Ezekiel's prophecy, that God's Spirit enters Ezekiel and is actually what causes Ezekiel then to stand. And so the language there is actually very important. So God doesn't just command Ezekiel, stand up. But God's Spirit then enters him and, and sets him on his feet, causes him to stand up. Which, when you think about through the rest of Ezekiel, God's Spirit is always working. And this is evident, of course, in the larger scriptures and then in our Lutheran theology, that the Spirit is always working in conjunction with the Word. 
So God is speaking a word to Ezekiel, commanding him, but uh, also then giving Ezekiel and God's people the power to actually do what he commands. So later on in the book, we hear about one of the promises then is that Yahweh is going to put his spirit in his people and pour it out and revive them. And here we get a little taste of that with Ezekiel, but of course his message then, as we're as we're going to come to see, is not one of gospel quite yet. You know, the law right. and the, the force of judgment is going to come first. But but yeah, the spirit of, of God plays a big role here and causes Ezekiel to stand. And I, one of the things I thought of was um, the epistle lesson for August 29th, uh, Ephesians six, where Paul over and over says, so that you might stand. And you're talking about the the armor of God and how, what role the Spirit plays in all of that. You know, what God wants us to do is he wants us to stand, but we don't have the power to do that. So it's God's Spirit that has to come to us and enter into us to uh, cause us to do that. That imagery from the armor of God in Ephesians 6, I think is quite fitting for Ezekiel, particularly given what we're going to read about how the Lord is going to strengthen him later in this text against the opposition. That fits in very well with that imagery that Paul uses of the armor of God in Ephesians 6. When the when the Lord then actually does speak to Ezekiel in verse 3, he says, I'm going to send you. And well, yeah, these are Ezekiel's call documents, I guess, is maybe way we could say it. And I don't know if this was the call that Ezekiel was looking for. Tell, tell, us, tell us a little bit about how the Lord describes what Ezekiel and to whom he's going to be sent. Yeah, I can imagine Ezekiel thinking, no, thanks a lot. <laughs> this, is not, this is not the place I want to go to or the people that I want to speak to because, well, there's an irony here because Ezekiel is uh, apparently a willing prophet. So he's not, we don't have a scene like with Jeremiah or with Moses where there's some sort of excuse. You know, Moses says, I'm I'm heavy tongued, you know, I'm slow of speech or however you want to translate it. And Jeremiah says, well, I'm but a youth. And Ezekiel never has a response like that. And yet he's being sent to a rebellious, unwilling people. And you, you compare him to someone like Jonah, who Jonah is actually an unwilling prophet who is being sent to ironically, a willing people, which is not the people of Israel. You know, this is the people of Assyria earlier on in history. And so Ezekiel, even though he's willing, even though he's speaking the word of the Lord, God is clear that even though these are his people, the people of Israel, he calls them a nation of rebels who have rebelled against me. So he uses this strong language of rebellion, transgression, uh, and he says they've rebelled against me to this very day. So this, this is an ongoing thing. It's not an isolated incident. It's not as if somebody was like, oh, yeah, well, we have this specific sin that just popped up and, and God wants us to fix it. But this has been going on. Actually, you can go all the way back to the people wandering in the wilderness, where in Deuteronomy 9, for example, God talks about how they are a rebellious people and they're you know, hard-hearted and they have, as we're going to see here, kind of hard foreheads where I guess we would say in English that you're a hard-headed person, right? You're stubborn, um, impudent, and just unwilling to hear, even though the message is supposed to, the, the message of God is that he wants to save you, but you've been turning away from him for hundreds of years into idolatry. 
So Ezekiel is sent to this group of people, to these rebels. Yeah, hard, hard-faced or hard-headed, hard-hearted. Both of those are are there in verse, what was it, verse four, impudent and stubborn, have that that very vivid language. We're going to see that language show up again later in our section as well. And yet the Lord says, you're going to go. It doesn't matter how they respond to you, if they listen or not, you're still going to go so that they'll know that a prophet has been among them. What's the significance of, of those words in verse five? Yeah, we see this actually quite a bit through Ezekiel, that this phrase, you know, so that you will know or so that they will know, God is working through Ezekiel to make it clear that whatever is coming, and that's to say the judgment and exile, is from the Lord. This is not just, like you said, some geopolitical game with Judah caught in the middle of bigger powers like Egypt and Babylon and whoever else. But this is, this is a word from and a judgment of the Lord. And so the fact that Ezekiel is speaking this word right now, they're going to hear it. And even though they're not going to listen to it, even though they're not going to believe it, they will then have a frame of reference for knowing, oh, okay, well, this is from the Lord. You know, God accomplished exactly what he said, which, believe it or not, is exactly what happens throughout the rest of the scripture, right? All the way from creation, when God speaks, something happens. And Every time God makes a promise, whether it's a promise for good, like to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or a promise of judgment, like to the people of Israel or to the enemies of God's people, he always comes through with that. So Ezekiel's prophecy, his oracles, his words are there to be a sign for the people that, hey, I've spoken this to you. I've told you exactly what's going to happen so that when it does happen, you will know. And it's, I think, in some sense, too, also a a sign for Ezekiel, because um, Horace Hummel, who wrote this uh, Concordia commentary on this, pointed out that Ezekiel is not called to be successful, as we would measure it externally, but to be faithful. Mm. And so for Ezekiel, he's already being told, you're going to speak these words, and it's not going to look like how you might hope it's going to turn out, but I'm accomplishing my will anyway through it. Mm. Yeah, I think there is a, an, an element of comfort to Ezekiel in that you know prediction ahead of time. This is what's going to happen, but it's for the people to know that the word of the Lord has been preached, and then for you, Ezekiel. And I think that's where the, the Lord elaborates then in verse verses six and seven. Don't be afraid of this, and and he describes again some more of the trouble that Ezekiel is going to face, and yet he reiterates that promise, that command: don't be afraid which I think is, you know, there's something that Ezekiel shares in common with some of the other prophets who come before him who are often told something very similar and also given this command, don't be afraid. How does the Lord continue this comfort for Ezekiel in verses six and seven? That command, do not be afraid, even though it is, you know, technically a command or an imperative, really is a a word of good news in the sense that God isn't saying, you know, shaking his finger at Ezekiel saying, well, don't be afraid. But he's actually giving the comfort, just like he's done with all of the prophets. So Moses, for example, in Exodus 3, he doesn't want to go, but God says, I will be with you. And I think that's the comfort for Ezekiel, too, that the word of the Lord has come to him. The spirit of the Lord has filled him. So we can say in a very real sense that the Lord is with him and the Lord is accomplishing his will through him. 
So the do not be afraid is really the ultimate reassurance that the Lord gives all throughout history here. And for Ezekiel and for the prophets, no matter how everything turns out, even if everyone is against them, God is still with them and God is accomplishing his will for them. Ezekiel shouldn't stop speaking his word simply because people aren't listening. Um, This is exactly what the Lord is bringing about. So even though he's speaking to his chosen people, and they're not listening, uh, God is doing what what needs to be done. In these verses, we also get the imagery of briars and thorns and scorpions, again, in conjunction with the rebellious house, but those particular images of briars and thorns and scorpions, what's the, the emphasis there? Yeah, I think the best, the best I can come up with is that this almost has to be an allusion to the curse of God in Genesis 3. So, after God speaks to the serpent, after he speaks to Eve, he speaks finally to Adam. And he doesn't necessarily curse Adam per se as, as a man. Instead, he curses the ground. So he says that the ground is cursed because of, because of you, and pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. So throughout the scriptures, these thorns and these thistles are signs, I think, of the curse of sin. And the fact, <laughs> the fact that he uses these words in relation to the people really is kind of a damning statement on them, that in their sin and their idolatry, uh, in their response to God's word, they are cursed. So their judgment is coming. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to stink for them. And unfortunately, it's going to stink for Ezekiel, too. This is going to be hard for him. He has this word of comfort, do not be afraid. And the implication, of course, is that the Lord is with him. But he's not calling Ezekiel to an easy task. This really is a hard-hearted and a hard-headed people. And they're going to poke and prod at him. And it's, it's going to hurt. And in that task, Ezekiel needs the strength of the Lord. He needs the word of the Lord. And so having now called Ezekiel into the prophetic ministry, laid out to him very upfront, this is what you're going to face, Ezekiel. The Lord continues to speak to Ezekiel and gives him something to eat. So let's continue to read here. We're picking up now in Ezekiel 2, verse 8. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth. And eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and on the back, and there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here, eat this scroll, and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, Feed your belly with the scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. And he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of foreign speech and a hard language, but to the house of Israel, not to many peoples of foreign speech and a hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I sent you to such, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you. For they are not willing to listen to me, because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces, and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like emery harder than flint have I made your forehead. 
Fear them not, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you receive in your heart, and hear with your ears, and go to the exiles, to your people, and speak to them, and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or refuse to hear. That takes us through the rest of our text. That was Ezekiel 2, 8 through 3, 11. So Pastor Squire, backing up to, to 2, 8, now that the Lord has identified to Ezekiel the audience that he's going to preach to, this rebellious house of Israel, he turns now again to Ezekiel and says, but you don't be rebellious like that. Instead, here's something to eat. What's the, what's the transition? What do we see beginning to happen there in, in 2, verse 8? So this really does seem like a transition verse. I mean, it's part of the same story, of course, but there's this stark change, but you. So Ezekiel is really contrasted with the people of Israel. Ezekiel is not a rebellious house. He's listening to the word of the Lord, and he's supposed to bring that word to the people. So Ezekiel will hear what God says. He's going to do what God commands. And God commands him here to do something strange. And this really fits in in some ways, to the larger book of Ezekiel, because Ezekiel is oftentimes asked to do these, what are often called action prophecies. So Ezekiel doesn't always necessarily speak a long word, but he does, he, he, he carries something out as almost like a, a parable in real time. So for example, later on, a few chapters later, he's supposed to pack up some baggage and go out of the city as a sign of the coming exile. Uh, in another place, he's asked to shave his head and his beard and divide it up, and some of it he's supposed to burn, and 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 so on and so forth as a sign of the judgment that's coming. And in one part, he's he's asked to uh, bake a cake of barley over some human dung. Just all of these kind of strange things that if we saw somebody doing them, we would just think that he's out of his mind. But this first one here is really not for the people, but it's for Ezekiel. God gives him this scroll to eat. And I think it's not meant to be the whole, uh, you know, the whole 48 chapters of Ezekiel or something like that, but it's described as uh, a scroll that has uh, woe and lamentations on it, which uh, we'll see here in a minute. But it's God's word that is um, being being taken in. And so we have that prayer that maybe your listeners have heard during the divine service at some point that. Um, we ask that God's word be um, uh, read and marked and learned and inwardly digested. Yeah. And we actually see that in a kind of a real way here, that God's word is given to Ezekiel to put into his body. And I think there's probably at the very least a subtle allusion to the manna in the wilderness uh, in the sense that, you know, the manna was provided by God for them to eat, but also that the people in the wilderness were grumbling about the manna. You know, what's with this worthless manna? We want, we want meat. And so oftentimes God will use food as, as an example of not simply feeding the body, but, but going beyond that, providing for something greater. Yeah, I, I think that the manna reference is, is likely, you know, and thinking about some of the other connections that you've got there, this is a scroll that's written front and back, like the tablets of the Ten Commandments were front and back. And then, of course, that the very famous passage from Deuteronomy 8, that man does not live by bread alone. Man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that is what the Lord is giving to Ezekiel here in his call in chapters 2 and 3. We'll pick up more of that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Prophet Ezekiel with Pastor Mark Squire. 
and we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, September 15th. We are studying Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 1 through chapter 3, verse 11 with Pastor Mark Squire. He serves at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in St. Ansgar, Iowa. Pastor Squire, prior to the break, we were talking about the scroll that the Lord gives to Ezekiel. He says, take this and eat it. Uh, a reminder of that reference, as you said in the colic for the word, that we would inwardly digest the word of God, that it would become a part of who we are. And that is what Ezekiel is, is told to do here. And and uh, this is one of those, again, strange scenes, though perhaps not the strangest. And I'm not sure that I know the answer to this question. And, and I don't know if you will either, but do you think he literally ate a scroll, like took a, a piece of, I guess, what, parchment or papyrus and, and literally ate it? Or is this more a part of like the vision that he was experiencing in chapter one? Do you think there's any indication in the text one way or the other? Well, I think it could go either way. I mean, certainly with everything else that Ezekiel did in his ministry, it wouldn't be out of the ordinary for God to ask him to do something strange, like like eat a scroll. Now, the scroll was probably not very large. Imagine that if God said, eat the scroll here, it's not maybe how we would imagine like the big scroll of Isaiah or something like that, that, that the Jews would have kept in their synagogues. It's probably a smaller piece. But yeah, whether it's parchment or papyrus or, or whatever it was, you think this is, this is weird. So it might be, might be a vision. It might be real, but you know, if it's real, at the very least, it, it tasted like honey, so the texture might have been bad, but but it was sweet in his mouth, which is interesting given the fact that what was written on the scroll were words of lament and mourning and woe, because <laughs> that, I, I wouldn't think that would taste like honey in the mouth. Mm. Now, that is maybe a strange juxtaposition that, you know, the words it says at the end of chapter two, lamentation, mourning, woe, but then sweet as honey how how does that go together? The the eating of God's word, being sweet, and yet knowing that there are these words of of lamentation and woe. How do those things go together? Well, the short answer is I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think I think there's a connection here to Ezekiel's office and his call in the sense that he is called to proclaim the full counsel of God. So everything that God has given him to say he's going to have to say, and it's going to be some terrible stuff. There's going to be lamentation, mourning, woe. It's going to be judgment and exile. This is all foreshadowing the prophecies that are going to come. The people are going to be defeated by the Babylonians, carried off into exile. And so for the first part of this book, there's really very little, if any, good news for the people. And so that's, but for Ezekiel, even though he's having to speak these words, even if it is distasteful to the people, Ezekiel can still take joy and pleasure in it, not in a like a happy way, like we might use the word happy, but in the sense that this really is God's word, and it's what he's supposed to be saying. 
So just like how pastors are supposed to preach the whole counsel of God, even when it's hard for people to hear, because like uh, Psalm 119 or Psalm 1 would say, you know, we take delight in the instruction of the Lord. We take joy in God's word, um, even when it's doing something hard to us. So that's, I think, probably the best answer I can give. And I, but I, I think that's probably what it means. Now, I think that's helpful. For, just from a, a larger biblical perspective, thinking maybe beyond just this text here in Ezekiel, but the, the way that God uses his word of lamentation and mourning and woe, that he doesn't do it to, as, as the book of Lamentations remind us, you know, he doesn't afflict his children from his heart, but he's doing so as a father in discipline you know, to bring about repentance and ultimately faith, such that even when that word of law, the word of judgment doesn't counter us, in the full counsel of God, we know that he is doing that for the sake of bringing about saving faith to, to keep us in repentance and that faith. And so there is a sweetness even to those harsher words of God, because we know he's accomplishing a greater purpose than like making us feel bad or something like that. But he's actually working in law and gospel both. And so, yeah, I think, I mean, it, it's maybe not all right there in Ezekiel 2 and 3, but I think it makes sense in the, the full counsel of God. So Ezekiel has eaten the scroll. It's tasted as sweet as honey. It's filled his his belly and his stomach. It's become a, a part of him. And then the Lord continues to speak to Ezekiel in verse 4. And and in following, he again, he tells him, you're going to go to Israel. You're going to speak my words to them. And then, he again, he talks more about who he's sent to. And also who he's not sent to. And that contrast is, a, is an interesting one as the Lord brings it out. What does the Lord tell Ezekiel in verses four and following about his audience, who it is and who it isn't? And he tells that, that he's going to the house of Israel. And, that, and this word house becomes important because back in chapter two, especially, God describes the people as a rebellious house. So again, this isn't just a small group of individuals, but when you think of the people of Israel as a whole, whether it's the northern kingdom, which has already been defeated and carried off into exile and judged, or the people of Judah and Jerusalem, which are about to be judged and sent into exile, this is, um, this is a rebellious house. This is the entirety of the people, and as we've seen throughout the prophets and throughout the scriptures, God certainly always keeps himself a remnant, no matter how small. But this is, you know, this is to the people of Israel. These are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And to, to these people, these ancestors, these fathers of the Old Testament, God had given these wonderful promises. And he, he showed them that he was faithful to them by carrying them out of Egypt, out of slavery, towards the land that he had promised and yet, this house of Israel, this rebellious house, has turned to idolatry, turned their faces away from the Lord. And um, which maybe in some ways for Ezekiel makes this harder because, you know, if you, if as a pastor you're told to go and, and speak a word to someone that you may never see again, you might think, okay, well, this, this might be hard for me, but I may or may not ever see this person again. So if they don't like it, fine, I don't have to deal with it. But Ezekiel's going to his own brothers, his own family, and the way that God is describing them in such uh, stark and, and difficult and dark terms, that they're rebellious, that they're hard-hearted, hard-headed, um, that he, he is comparing the situation to thorns and briars and scorpions, 
um, you know, hey, go to your family that's turned away from me and then speak these, these hard, hard words. So this is, this is, again, no easy task, as you feel. Right. I remember reading this at one point in my life and thinking, oh, okay, that's, that's kind of the Lord to send him to a people that, that he knows. You know, th- these are people Ezekiel knows, so that it's not like he has to, you know, go learn some foreign language or something like that. And yet I, I think you're right that, that this actually makes it harder to have to speak to the people that you know, that you love, that, you know, these people who are in, eg- in exile with you, you're now given the word of law to proclaim to them <laughs> and the judgment and that, and you can't just leave either. I mean, that, that I think is, that right, does right. make it more difficult. And and even well, I think go we, ahead, go ahead. You you mentioned you're they're in exile together. So Ezekiel speaks these words, and then they go into exile. So it's not as if even after the destruction, Ezekiel still has to face them. Right. So even in their judgment, Ezekiel still has to be there. So this is, yeah, this is the long, arduous road for him. Well, what about this contrast that the Lord brings up with? If he had sent him, now he doesn't, but if he had sent him to a foreign nation, they would have listened. What's that contrast that the Lord's making with between Israel and these other foreign nations to whom Ezekiel isn't sent? Yeah, it's like God is kind of uh, sticking the knife in and then kind of twisting it. He's really, he's really judging the people so much so that this this would be insulting to them to hear that um, that if Ezekiel went to Gentiles, pagans, idolaters, that well, they would listen, but you, you, the people of God, the house of Israel, are not going to listen. And again, I see connection here with Jonah. So Jonah goes finally after, you know, God has to uh, send the storm and the big fish to vomit him on the beach. He finally goes to Nineveh and proclaims the coming judgment of God, and they all repent. So we actually see it in the Old Testament. This is not just some theoretical thing, but... This is this plays out in history that the people who are outside of Israel, by and large, through the throughout the Old Testament, do a better job of listening to God, which is just scandalous and mm. and surprising, and in fact carries over to the New Testament, right? So when you look at the Gospels, when Jesus, uh, what's a good example? So the the centurion who sends his servant to Jesus and says, "Come heal my," or send somebody to, to come heal a servant and. Jesus says, okay, well, I'll come. And they said, oh, well, you know, I'm not worthy to have you come under my house. So just speak the word and he will be healed. And Jesus marvels, and he does this several times in the Gospels. He marvels at the faith of the non-Israelite people. Hmm. And so it's just, again, it's, it's an insult to the people, but it's true because even though they see the people outside of Israel as pagans, as Gentiles, as idolaters, they themselves are the worst of the idolaters because they had been given the promises, they had been given the salvation, and yet they still turned away. In verse 7, I think there's a great comfort for Ezekiel as a prophet, and I think for pastors still today, where the Lord tells Ezekiel, the reason that the house of Israel isn't going to listen to you, Ezekiel, is because they're not willing to listen to me. I, mean, that, I think that's a that's a that's got to be a comfort for Ezekiel, and, and I think it's a comfort for those who proclaim the word of God today as well, that it's not a rejection of the man, it's a rejection of the God whose word the man speaks. Yeah, exactly. And I think, again, it doesn't necessarily make the task any easier, but it is. it does bring comfort because it's not as if, well, what could I have done differently? And so you start to second guess yourself. And I know you as a pastor and, and pretty much every pastor has experienced lovingly telling someone what God's word is, especially if they're in some sort of sin, only to have them turn around and say, well, 
you know, that's not for me. I'm not going to believe it or I'm not going to listen to it, even though I know it's true. I'm not going to do it, whatever. And, you know, that's hard. That's, that's never easy. But to know that it's not because you said it wrong or you could have argued it better, but because they're actually not listening to God, which is exactly what Jesus says in the Gospels. He tells his disciples in Luke 10, the one who hears you hears me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So you can't, you can't get around it. You know, as long as a pastor or whoever, you know, whatever Christian is speaking God's word, as, as long as they are speaking God's word, if somebody rejects it, it's not, it's not somehow on the person, you know, that, that the person that they've talked to is rejecting God and rejecting his Christ. Hmm. This is going to be a, a big theme in Ezekiel in the next text where the Lord sets Ezekiel as a watchman and this thought of, you know, speaking God's word faithfully to warn that's, that's going to become a big theme. And I think it, I mean, it goes back to what we were saying earlier in two verse five, where the Lord says, you know, then they will know that a prophet has been among them for the sake of the people of Israel who hear Ezekiel's word, that they, they will know that when they have rejected Ezekiel, ultimately they haven't rejected Ezekiel, but they've rejected the Lord who sent Ezekiel. And that phrase being repeated, this again is one of the important themes for Ezekiel. Now, as you said, knowing that provides comfort, but it doesn't necessarily make the task easy. It's still difficult. And and again, Ezekiel is going to need the Lord's strength. And that's what the Lord promises Ezekiel. And he uses this image of, of being hard again. He talks about how the hard the people are, but now the Lord's going to do something for Ezekiel to make him hard as well. What What's the strengthening that the Lord's going to give Ezekiel? Yeah, in verses 8 and 9, uh, God turns around the image. So the image in a negative way at first was that the people had a hard forehead or a hard head and a hard heart. So they were stubborn and they were unbelievers. But God turns it around and he says, well, their forehead is hard, but I'm going to make yours harder, your face harder, your forehead as hard as theirs. And then he says in verse 9, like emery or like a flint, harder Harder than flint have I made your forehead. You know, do not fear them, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. So God turns it around and makes it so that whatever Ezekiel's facing, whether it's these briars and thorns or the scorpions, or I like how God even uses these dirty looks here. He says the people are going to look at you in a bad way. It's not that, that they're going to not listen, but they're going to they're going to stare you down. They're going to look at you like you're crazy. They're going to reject you. They're going to scowl at you. And yet, um, it's going to bounce off of you. And that's that's what Ezekiel and the prophets, and that's what God's people really need, is to know that whatever evil is, is sent our way, no matter how small or great, through God's promise, he makes, he makes it so that that doesn't come and affect us in an ultimate way. So it might make us sad, or it might make us cry out, how long, O Lord? But ultimately, you know, this is something that God has made, put us in a position where we can withstand whatever's coming at us. And so for Ezekiel, this is a really, this is good news. This is a grace for him that he's not hard-headed in a bad way, uh, but it's, in fact, his, his head is going to be harder that is to say, as rebellious as Israel is, Ezekiel will be that much more faithful. So Ezekiel doesn't have to be afraid because he's speaking the word of Yahweh. 
This matter of, of strengthening Ezekiel here and making his, his forehead or his face hard, I think is, is related. I don't think we've talked about this yet, but you, you mentioned it to me ahead of time that, that there's a maybe perhaps a play on the name of Ezekiel and what it means in Hebrew here. Yeah, that's, I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot to mention earlier, Ezekiel's name means God strengthens. And so we see here exactly how God does that for Ezekiel. And what a wonderful way to have that promise just put into your name. So you think about the sort of application to us as Christians as well. I mean, we have the name of Christ that's been put onto our foreheads and onto our hearts. And we say in baptism, to mark you as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. So whatever image or whatever metaphor you're using, whether it's redemption or salvation or strengthening, Ezekiel's name reveals for us the good, gift that God has given to him, that even in the face of difficulty, even in the face of a rebellious house that's hard-hearted and hard-headed, his forehead, his face is going to be harder. God strengthens him and makes him to stand. In verse 10, we, I mean, a lot of this sounds repetitious, I think, to us, but for, for good reason that the Lord would strengthen Ezekiel in that way. In verse 10, the Lord tells Ezekiel that all of his words need to be received in the heart and need to be heard with the ears. Those two words, receiving and hearing, are important, not only here in Ezekiel, but scripturally speaking. Exactly. These words are, are so important. And so there's the two words here. There's, there's receive and there's listen. And both of these words are very important in the scriptures. Uh, receive is really, in, a, in its base sense, a, a passive word. So it's not like how some Christians might say, well, I received Jesus in my heart, you know, using that kind of choosing language. It really just implies a gift. So what I like to tell people, and the example I like to use is if you get a wonderful gift at Christmas, you know, you don't go around saying, well, you know, I accepted this gift. Well, who cares? I mean, you got, you talk about the gift. What did you get? You know? Um, so I think in the same way here, when, when Ezekiel is, is told that uh, he is, receiving the words of God in his heart. It's passive. They're coming into his heart. God's word is a gift for him. And so in the same way that he's receiving them passively, uh, he should listen to them. So this word Shema in Hebrew is so important. Mm. And it brings us back to Deuteronomy 6. And this is, this is a very important passage, both for Christians and for uh, the people of Israel throughout history, because Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 is called the Shema, which just means hear or listen, which is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, or the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, something like that. But then in verse 6, he says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Okay, so this is, this is always what's supposed to happen with God's word for God's people, that they aren't just dead words written down on a page, or they're not just rote words that we speak, but they're as, as it says in Hebrews, they're living and active, and they pierce all the way to the heart. So they're supposed to be—they're they're written on our hearts. They give us—they give us a new heart. They renew us, and there's something that really drives our whole being. Um, so that's really kind of what I think here, and especially with listen. It's, listen is found all over with with God's word, and it's connected with faith and faithfulness. So you think of Romans 10, for example, where. There's that pretty well-known passage that Paul says, well, how can they hear unless they've been preached to, and how can they preach unless they've been sent, and so on and so forth, that 
when we hear the word, it's not just that it's physically going into our ears, but, but there's a listening. So taking to heart, we might say, and as James so um, eloquently puts it in his letter that, you know, faith and works play together. So you don't just hear something, but you also are living in what God has said. In verse 11, the, our text, at least for today, wraps up. There's, there's more to Ezekiel's call, but we wrap up in verse 11 today. What's there in verse 11 that we should notice? Well, we should notice, first of all, that um, Ezekiel is sent to the exile. So we can't forget that even though he's also prophesying before the destruction of Jerusalem, he is also a prophet during the exile. So he's, he's in Babylon with the people. And the sense there, I think that even in exile, the people of God are still stubborn. There's this time of what you could say maybe winnowing, you know, similar to the people of Israel wandering in the wilderness. So God has this allotted time, you know, then it was 40 years. Now it's going to be 70 years where he allows pretty much that whole generation to die off. Mm -hmm. So even in exile, the people seem to be kind of confirming themselves in this rebellion. And what, what I noticed here is that Ezekiel, God sends Ezekiel to the exiles and he says to your people, he doesn't say to my people. And that reminded me of Exodus 32 when the people are in the wilderness and they're waiting for Moses to come back down and they get impatient. So they tell Aaron, you know, make us gods that we can worship. And so Aaron puts together the gold, makes this golden calf and they worship it as a feast to the Lord. And the Lord tells Moses, you know, this people that you brought up out of Egypt <laughs> mm-hmm. has rebelled against me. So there's almost like this renouncing of his rights, his fatherly rights, or, you know, in Ezekiel, it might be better to say in like his, uh, his spousal rights, you know, because there's this image throughout all of Ezekiel where Israel has been unfaithful to the Lord who is seen as the bridegroom. And so this, this uh, to your people phrase in verse 11 really struck me as God's almost saying at this point, not quite I've given up, but, you know, they're here, they're your responsibility in a, in a way that's a, a judgment against them. So you've been my people, I've given you your word and you're rebellious, so you know what, you're going to go in exile. Hmm. Pastor um, Squire, we've got about four minutes on the morning, and, and there's a lot of, I think, I mean, if you had to classify this, which is maybe not the, the best way, but if it's a lot of law, right? a lot of judgment in this text, though not without gospel. How, how does this section of Ezekiel point us toward our Savior Jesus? How do we, as Christians, make use of this text, again, with about four minutes left? Yeah, so we certainly can't make some kind of one-to-one correspondence with this as if, well, something like this is going to happen to me. Well, probably not. Uh, But certainly in Ezekiel's call, we see echoes of the life and the ministry of Jesus. And the thing with Ezekiel is he doesn't have a lot of these direct quotes that other prophets do, like Isaiah and Jeremiah in the New Testament. There's some, but not a lot. Uh, But there are more allusions and there are more images from Ezekiel that are used. So, for example, in John 10, you know, one of the most famous ones, Jesus calls himself the Good Shepherd. Uh, He offers living water in John 4. Uh, Jesus becomes the temple of God himself. You know, all of these images from all of Ezekiel. So when you're thinking of this text in particular, um, Jesus came to his own, John says, and his own did not receive him. 
So Jesus becomes the fulfillment of this call of Ezekiel in the sense that Jesus was rejected by this hard-hearted people and not sent into exile, but killed. You know, he was sent outside of the city and the sins of the world, the rebellion, the idolatry of the world was put on his shoulders. And so Jesus then dies for this. But of course, it doesn't end there. We know God raises Jesus from the dead by the power of his spirit. And Jesus is going to to bring about this renewal. And so he's going to gather people to himself. And in our day and age, we know that there are still people who, and we talked about this with Jeremiah, I think when I did uh, that session with you in Jeremiah, that there's still people who today, even pastors who speak what people want to hear, the scratch itching ears instead of proclaiming God's word. But pastors, especially and Christians in general, you know, we're called to be foreigners in this world. We're called to speak God's word and not what we want, what, what people want to hear, but what they need to hear. And so though for those who hear and for those who understand, like Jesus said in Matthew 15, the word of God is as sweet as honey. It's a joy to dwell in because whenever we do come to the Lord to confess our sins, to repent, we receive absolution. God feeds us even with the word of God made flesh, the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, so that the lamentation and the woe that's going on now, the groaning that's happening will not last forever. We will be sustained through it. And Jesus will return in glory with a new heaven and a new earth. And we pray with all of God's people, come soon, Lord Jesus. Come come quickly. Come soon, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Yes, sir. Pastor Mark Squire is pastor at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in St. Ansgar, Iowa, helping us today with Ezekiel 2, verse 1 through 3, verse 11. Pastor Squire, thanks for being our guest today. My pleasure. Thank you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Ezekiel or comments on the series, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send up to a 60-second message to us. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.